0: Yeah, spring training is uh underway in uh Goodyear Arizona. First game is on Sunday, the twenty eighth, against the Indians. Full squad workouts are underway. Joey Votto said some things last week that have me intrigued. Uh maybe gonna have some more power this year and it's bad. We'll get to that. Uh there's a lot going on right now, and uh I know you may not you may hate me for mentioning this, but uh NFL free agency periods on the horizon, Sean, so we're gonna see. Some decisions made within the Bengals. Um, high school basketball tar- state tournaments are starting uh, soon, so there's a lot to get to tonight. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you mentioned that that, that free agency. I, I think the Bengals might potentially get a few offensive linemen if they can, uh, yep. with some of the money that they have.
1: Um, and frankly, I think that's the way to go. I think you know, do you, I think a lot of questions the Bengals fans have, have is uh, you know, do you draft? Uh, do you draft an alignment, or do you, do you sign one to the team and maybe draft other players at uh, different positions? Um, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the Bengals decide to do in this offseason. Um, but first things first, we're going to get to some Bearcats basketball. Alex, uh, you were I you were on call for this
0: Temple game, correct? I was, yes. Okay, Bearcats win there 71-69, to 69, and that was their first. Uh, was that their third consecutive win I believe it was after their, the uh, yep. restart Yeah. was their third consecutive win they went on a four game winning streak which was very
1: very quickly ended by the Houston Cougars um, but either way Cincinnati had a pretty, pretty good game uh, against the Temple Owls um, some of the scoring leaders there we'll take a look actually just about everybody got points from the bench and the starters, minus Mike Saunders and Rob Banks. Um, aside from them, everyone contributed a few points. Jeremiah Davenport and Mike Adams-Woods both led the way with 12. Uh, just behind them at 9 was David Julius. And then uh, behind him, Chris Vokes with 8, believe it or not. Um, Zach Harvey, who is now apparently no longer with the program. Um, also with eight and so on and so forth. Tari Eason had four. Mamadou was four. Mason Madison was seven. Keith Williams was seven. Um, so really scoring all over the Cincinnati board. And then we'll take a look at the um, at the Temple Owls here. Leading the way for the Owls in points was Brendan Barry, number 15, a guard for Temple. And they had one, two, three three four people in the double digits compared to Cincinnati is two but they also had less people scoring overall uh on offense uh for the, for both the bench and the uh and the starters so um Alex three quick things what did you really quick things what did you like about this game
0: What I liked about the Temple game was um, that they beat an opponent for the second time in nine days, and that's not an easy task to do. Um, When you, I mean, these are two teams that know each other really well. I think we touched on this um, leading up to the game against Temple. Um, These are two teams that know each other so well. The games are always really, really close, as evidenced by this game on February the 12th, two Fridays ago, so... I like the fact that they that they took care of business. Uh, bottom line, simple as that. They took care of business and won their second game against the same opponent in a span of nine days. Um, I I felt like uh, Cincinnati they they came at Temple from so many different ways. Um, whether it was Zach Harvey, you know, scoring in the first half, being that slasher that floor runner that, I mean, unfortunately now we're not going to be able to potentially see. He's opted out for the rest of this season. I don't know if he's going to come back or not. The expectation is he will not, ultimately. Um, It was Chris Vote. Do you realize, Sean, and I know we've both been critical of Chris Vogt, and we talked about him a lot this year in a negative way, but do you realize, Sean, he had six blocks in that game against Temple? Six blocks. That's going to be a PR for him. I, I would... Oh, I think it has to be a career high, and I'll check on that in a minute. So, Chris Vogt was was a force in the interior. He had eight points. He had six blocks. He was four of seven from the field. Unfortunately, it was only a shell of what we saw in the first half of last year, but it was still a, a critical component to a, a really slim victory by the, you know, slimmest of margins, almost. Jeremiah Davenport, um, 12 points and eight rebounds. David DeJulius contributed... Um, In multiple different ways, despite having a really poor shooting night, 2 for 10 from the floor, 0 for 5 from 3, he did have 4 assists and 2 steals. So Cincinnati, what they really did a good job at, they controlled the game. They punched Temple in the mouth early. It was kind of back and forth in the first half in terms of scoring. Got off to a slow start, but once Cincinnati took the lead, they did not give it up. And I guess another thing, Sean, if I haven't mentioned 3 already... Mason Madsen 17 minutes off the bench and 17 very productive minutes, seven points, two rebounds, two assists, and five for seven from the free throw line. And a lot of those free throws came late in the game. You're putting a freshman in that situation, and he passed that and he passed all those tests with flying colors at the free throw line. Pressure packed free throws. Now, there aren't 12,000 fans watching you, there's only 300, but still. All the pressure's on you. You're all alone at the free-throw line, and you make those free-throws to seal the game. I have to give him some major credit. Yeah,
1: and, and I agree. Um, Mason Matson. I mean, I don't want to say he put the team on his back. Um, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. Um, but he has a lot of pressure on his shoulders, that's for sure. Um, and he definitely had to sink the free-throws that he took. And, and he did just that. And And like you said, Alex, he's just a freshman. Um, and so for him to step up and, uh, and and pretty much help seal the win for this Bearcats team um, for the first out of actually two straight games, which we'll get into that in a second here, um, it's, it's really impressive, and I, and I really like what I'm seeing from him.
0: Yeah, I think you really have to like what you're seeing. He's an energizer on the floor. He defends well. He um, he he can score too. I mean, he he's play. He has only played some, you know. Marginal minutes in games at best. You you look at Mason Madsen this season. Now, 17 minutes, I I wouldn't say is marginal, but it feels like he doesn't get a lot of playing time this season. You look at what he's been able to do in his first season as as a Bearcat. Career high in minutes 20, which came at Temple. Now, then again, you look at the last uh, handful of games. He only played in two games prior to the layoff, which was at SMU. He played three minutes there, and then he played at Wichita State. But with the layoff and, you know, having a limited roster, he has played in his last five games, Sean, ready for this? 20, 19, 17, 15, and 14. That is averaged to 17 minutes per game for a freshman. And when I think about what's transpired recently, and we'll get to what took place on Sunday here in a minute, and I think about what what is there to look forward to within this program? Hopefully... One of those, one thing to look forward to is the evolvement of Mason Madsen. I don't, know, I mean, I don't even know, I, I think we're beyond the point of development. And if there's a difference between the two concepts. But Mason Madsen could evolve into this, you know, really, you know, kind of almost reminds me of a Mick Cronin player. A player that defends, a player that can rebound and score. And that's what we need on this team. We need some outside shooting. We need a guard that can score, you know, whether it's driving to the hoop, whether it's, you know, hitting threes. I mean he's he was shooting fifty percent from the field this season. And in his last um in his last five games, he is eight for um eight for sixteen, and he's four thirteen from three overall this season. In his last five games, he is three. Four eleven, 11. Which isn't terrible. It's not great. But I think you're starting to see the potential that he has.
1: Yeah, and I agree. And you almost wonder you, you look at the minutes uh, difference between uh, Zach Harvey and Mason Madsen. I mean, Zach Harvey only had one additional minute over Mason Madsen, which you're going to wonder if maybe that's partially the reason that uh, he left. Uh, you know, maybe he he wasn't getting as many playing minutes as he should and frankly I, I, I would actually agree with that. I would probably say that he's not he didn't get as many minutes as he likely deserved. Being a sophomore, being a uh one of the top recruits in the nation. Um you know, I I feel like he maybe thought he was getting a little bit disrespected by John Brandon and um you know, maybe that maybe that is the case. Maybe he should have had more minutes on the floor and I think he definitely deserved it. Um you know, I I think he did. I mean, he had some games where he was doing really, really well and he was showing lots of progress. Now, I'm not dissing uh, Mason Madsen by, by any means whatsoever. Um, he's been playing great, but, you know, when you're playing a freshman just as much as you're playing your four-star recruit, um, you know, it, it, that almost kind of says something, I, I think, to in the mind of Zach Harvey. Um, yeah, and you might just say, oh, well, you know, Mason Madison's playing great, and I agree, um, and I like that he's playing as much as he is, but maybe Zach Harvey doesn't.
0: Well, I guess he didn't because, I mean, that's why he opted out, and I think the COVID layoff did impact him a little bit. I also think when you put Zach, when you put Zach Harvey's career in full, when you look at it from the big picture and the totality of it... Um, it wasn't, I mean, he did not, at the end of the day, he did not live up to expectations upon his recruitment when he came to Cincinnati. Four-star recruit um, out of Topeka, Kansas. He had enormous expectations. Highest-rated recruit since Jermaine Lawrence way back in the early Mick days. And I think it, it speaks to both his inability to stay healthy last year. Um, he, he had, you know, he had reconstructive ankle surgery. In the off season, got off to a slow start. You know, was inconsistent. He did have some moments last year, but uh, just never really put it all together. He, he, I, 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 I said it. He did have some flashes. He made um, a critical three in the in the rally against Houston. He hit a go-ahead three. What I thought was going to be the game winner in East Carolina last year. And he also had some key end ones early in the games against Memphis and Wichita State at home when Jaron Cumberland or Keith Williams were in foul trouble, he did pick up the slack and, you know, kind of took charge. I will give him that. But at the end of the day, Sean, he... This is both, I think, a testament to his inability to live up to expectations. And here's something I just thought about with John Brennan. To me, he's a guy who... Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know if he's really a player's coach or not because yeah, he's had opt-outs and you do have to consider that, but I, I think with John Brandon, he is a short fuse. And if you don't, if you don't live up to what he expects out of you as a player, then you're not going to play. I mean, think about Jaron Cumberland. I mean, some of the stuff that maybe he could do when Mick Cronin was here, he couldn't get away with it under John Brannan. He was benched for a game. Jaron Cumberland didn't play in the second half for... Or much the second half and overtime in the semifinal game at the Paradise Jam last year, John Brandon has a short fuse. There's a way that John Brandon wants to run this program, and maybe that's why Zach Harvey opted out because he was not—he did not feel like he was living up to the expectations casted by John Brandon. And unfortunately, you know, for it's unfortunate for him, but at the same time. If John Brandon's going to be a success here, and I do hope he is, because I, we saw signs of it last year. Last year, I had hope. This year, it's kind of, eh. You know, it's kind of fading a little bit um, with what's transpired recently, but, I mean, you're seeing the meticulousness that he puts in, the, de- the attention to detail that he possesses. I'd like for him to work out here, but I don't know, Sean, like, he has a short fuse, and he he doesn't have a lot of patience, for, you know, if his players aren't living up to expectations. I don't know. Right. I, I understand the concern,
1: and I, I certainly see part of it. Um, however, this is a very different year for college basketball. Um, you know, who knows how many wins it would have if there was a home crowd, and, you know, that sort of thing. And also, uh, a 25-day hiatus, despite the fact that they went on a four-game winning streak, I mean, that's 25 days you have without playing a game, without practicing, you know, you're hardly talking to one another. There's a lot of things that, that don't happen during that 25-day, you know, um, that 25-day hiatus that they that they had to go through. Um, so who knows, you know, if this was a normal year, what it would look like. Um, you know, we can only really wait and see until next year what what's going to happen ultimately. Um, but... I, I, we won't get it next year just yet. We'll actually move to the very next game, which uh, I was going to use Mason Madsen as like a trend, as a segue into the next game, but kind of got a little carried away with something else. But uh, the reason Mason Madsen is a good segue into the next game is because he pretty much helped save the day on this game too, winning or, or well, winning, making rather two very critical uh, free throws at the end, or making one critical free throw at the end rather, shot for two, missed one. Um, it actually got the friendly roll, sat on the rim for a solid second or two, it felt like, and then it, it rolled right in, um, and it took Memphis out of out of the ability to tie up the game. Uh, it put up the Bearcats up by four, so UCF needed a three and a foul with, I think it was under three seconds to go or four
0: seconds to go. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of time left, Alex. Um, no, it wasn't. And... It put Cincinnati it just out of reach uh,
1: for UCF to be able to make any sort of any sort of you know game-winning shot. I, they did make a very long-distance three. I can't remember who made the shot exactly. I want to say it was CJ Walker, maybe.
0: Um, Whoever it was that made the shot, though, props to him. It was a great shot. It was Darius Perry? Um,
1: it was Perry. Okay. Um, and this game was really back and forth. Cincinnati had a very good uh, offensive rhythm going in the first half. Uh, they sort of lost that in the second half and regained it a little bit, just enough to like recapture the lead and, and get the win. But, again, more props to Mason Madsen for having the, the pressure on his shoulders as a freshman to be able to sink just, just one. He only needed one, and he made it. I think one critical
0: free throw uh to seal the game for for the cats. I thought Sean that this game was one of the better games the Bearcats have played this year in terms of, you know, how smooth they looked as a team. You have to remember the Bearcats in this game, they did not have very many turnovers early. Most of them came in the second half. They got they built a double digit lead in the first half, and UCF did come from behind. I will give them credit, but Cincinnati did enough damage offensively in the second half in the first half where UCF it was too it was too much to overcome from them. In this game, Cincinnati had four double digit scores. Keith Williams had 14 points, was six of twelve from the floor, eight rebounds, four assists. Great game for him. David the Julius had fourteen points, he was six of twelve from the field as well. Chris chrisville even had 11 points seven rebounds four of six from the floor and then mike adams woods had 13 points off the bench including three for six from downtown I i thought this game you saw a lot of smooth play from the bearcats offense they were in transition they were getting into the paint in fact in this game cincinnati had 17 fast break points 34 points in the paint so they got out in transition they made smart passes if you would double team Chris Vote on the in, on the interior, he would kick out to Micah Adams Woods for three, or whether it was uh, Jeremiah Davenport made a three, Mason Madsen made a three, David the Julius made a three as well. I thought Cincinnati in this game did a great job of playing smooth. They weathered the storm. UCF came back uh, early in the second half. I believe they tied the game, but then David the Julius they did tie the game at fifty. But then the Julius made a three, and they never let go of the lead. So the resiliency of the Bearcats in games that they can win against teams that against teams they should beat has been has been very very good. Um, but another thing too, Sean, and I, I, this this really wasn't talked about. Maybe from what I'm remembering from the stories that I read from um, beat writers who cover the team professionally. Did it feel to you that this team was kind of playing with some adrenaline because they didn't have a full roster? They hadn't played in 25 days. They were playing under extraordinarily abnormal circumstances. Did it feel like to you that this team was kind of playing with a little bit of an adrenaline just because they had just gotten back to playing basketball? I think so. I think part of that was
1: the energy they had from the... uh... From the, the three game win streak that they were on, now they made it four with this game. Uh, so I think that they kind of just had that momentum going, and they were able to keep practicing and, and sort of reestablish their. This, I'm going to use uh, I'm going to use an overused uh, term, but they were able to reestablish their chemistry a little bit. Um, and you know, I mean, you look at some of the numbers. They, they the numbers speak for themselves. Forty eight percent field goal shooting. 25 for 52, that's almost 50% from the floor. That's pretty good. Uh, However, what's not good is the three-point shooting, which, I mean, I don't think there's been a single game where it has been notably good this year. Uh, It was six for 22. Uh, It was 27.3%, and free-throw shooting was around 68. Uh, In other words, 13 for 19, which overall is actually not bad. The person who really brought that number down the most not a shock to anybody who's listening. 3-7 uh, and seven for his free throws was Chris Poked. Again, not shocking. Um, but, you know, the three-point shooting, it was led by Mike Adams-Woods, who was 50%. He went three for six. Keith Williams was 0 for three. Julius was one for five. Davenport was five. Um, I believe Davenport actually made his very early on. I think he was the opening point of the game. Um, but you know, the three-point three shooting is, is something that, you know, I, you got to wonder, should they keep taking open threes? Should they not keep taking open threes? Because it almost seems like this team sort of doesn't really get offensive rebounds, uh, at least since Cronin left, that sort of seems to have disappeared as well as even some defense. You're not seeing as many players get their shots blocked by Bearcats defenders anymore. You know, it, it's a totally different style of play, and I understand that, but it's very different Bearcats basketball than what we're used to seeing. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that they played with a little bit of adrenaline. Um, it was a very back and forth close game. And so I think they had to stay on edge and they, they had to stay focused, uh, in order to pull out the close win.
0: You're exactly right, Sean. And and they did. And again, it speaks to the resilience that this team has in some aspects. And I, I do think, and we saw it in those four games, that maybe this team was starting to come together. They're playing better defensively, but this team has got to start rebounding the basketball better. I mean, you said it best. Ever since Mick Cronin uh, left for UCLA, it feels like this program doesn't pride itself on the glass and getting rebounds. Which and Trey Scott was kind of, for as good as he was last year, was kind of an anomaly with that. Um, he was by far and away this team's best rebounder last year. But the problem is the guys they have right now in the interior, Chris Vogt, is really the only guy they have and he well i got atari eason too but chris vote i mean he's not as prolific of a rebounder as he was at the beginning of last year so there is some there's some major concern there going forward because you have to be able to rebound in this league and quite frankly to beat any team in college basketball offensive rebounding is one it might be the most underrated category in all of college basketball because it creates extra possessions and if you get extra possessions eventually you will wear down the opposing defense now Sean um, I'll segue that because we talk about rebounding and the importance of it well the team the Bearcats played on Sunday this past Sunday is might be one of the best they are not might be they are one of the best rebounding teams in the country and Cincinnati felt its full Effect on Sunday against the Houston Cougars. Uh, this game was nowhere near for the taking. It was over by halftime, and it might have been over earlier than that.
1: Yeah, it, it really was a tough game to watch. I mean, oh man, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, the final score of ninety to fifty-two. Uh, Alex, why
0: don't you go ahead and tell the people the last time that the Bearcats got beat this badly? The last time, and this is interesting, the last time the Bearcats lost by that many points was in the Big East Tournament quarterfinals. Again, this is how far this goes back. They lost by 38 to Notre Dame in the 2011 Big East Tournament quarterfinals. And that was to a very good Notre Dame team, similar to Houston. But also that year, the Bearcats then went on to win an NCAA tournament game before losing to the eventual national champions, UConn, in the, in the second round. So, again, this does not happen in Cincinnati basketball, where you lose by 38 points. Mick Cronin set the standard, we're going to play hard, we're going to play physical every game, and John Brandon has like completely abandoned those defensive principles. Well, I don't want to say completely abandoned, but I just feel like that he this program and where they are right now, they are not playing up to the level, up to the standards defensively that have been um, established within this established within this program for the last 30 years. Yeah, I, I
1: completely agree. It, the program, you know, it sort of feels like almost like a shell of its former self. Um, and, and again, we talked about this already, but maybe it's because it's just you know, it's a very different year in, in sports and people's lives and, you know, all aspects. Uh, it could just be because it's a very different year, but, I mean, regardless of, of what kind of year you're having, I mean, this Cincinnati's not a program that, like you said, that's not a program that loses by 38 points. Now, granted, granted, Houston has played 21 games. Uh, Cincinnati has only played 15 they were 500 coming this game at 7-7, seven and seven, uh, and then they obviously got their, you know, what's what's in this game. Um, however, they remain 5-5 five and five in the conference, so they are at 500. So they're not bottom of the barrel anymore, but they're, you know, right on the, on the on, they're very much on thin ice in terms of being near that, the bottom of that barrel. Um, but we'll take a quick look at some of the, uh, some of the stats From that game, Uh, David DeJulius only made two out of nine shots from the floor. Keith Williams was one for 10. Jeremiah Davenport, four for 13. I mean, percentage-wise, the best person who shot was Mason Madsen, and he only shot three shots, and he made two of them. Overall, the Bearcats were 15 for 50 from the floor. That's 30%. 30% from the floor. And from the three-point line, it was even worse. It was 23.8%. Jeremiah Davenport shot eight of those and only made two. Now, free-throw percentage was probably about average. Yeah, it's about 60%, just above 60%. So not bad there, but those are free throws. Those are uncontested shots, um, which I think really speaks to the defense and the, and the toughness of this Houston Cougars team. And they are ranked six in the country. Um, so... Was I was I shocked by this loss and, and, and the way that we lost? Frankly, no. Uh, was I disappointed in how we lost? Yeah. More so in how we lost, not so much that we lost. I don't think really either of us expected Cincinnati to win this game, Alex. I think Houston was a team, it, they're just a dominant team. I mean, despite losing to East Carolina earlier for the season, who's actually bottom of the barrel right now in the conference. Um, this is just a really, really good Houston teams and Kelvin's Houston team and Kelvin Sampson's doing a great job with them this year and you know, I'm not even I'm not even kidding. I'm kind of excited to see what they're gonna do in the postseason in
0: terms of the in terms of March Madness, which starts up here in just less than a month. I think I think the Cougars are a nightmare for any team because they play physical and if you're a team that likes to get out and run, I mean I think let's say they run into a a Michigan or an Ohio State from the Big Ten or an Illinois teams that like to Teams that have balance, and if Houston can make it ugly and make it uh, a slugfest, I, I would say advantage Houston. And we kind of saw that with um in their last two tournament appearances. You remember they lost to Michigan in 2018, but what you may not remember is Houston took Houston, uh, they made Michigan earn that victory, and the only reason why they won is because Houston kind of gave the game away with missed free throws, but they made it ugly. They made it, you know, physical. They made it hard nosed a battle. And then you look at uh twenty nineteen, they play Ohio State in the and they play Ohio State in the second round. I remember that game Sean had so many foul calls in the second half because of it was so physical. And then Kentucky uh they won they lost Kentucky sixty two to fifty eight. But again, they made Kentucky work for that victory. Now Kentucky now Houston and Kentucky is actually a really good matchup because Kentucky is historically a team that likes to play inside out which is kind of what Houston is um I'm excited to see what they can do but Sean you're right there's there's no excuse for losing a game by 38 points and I'm not shocked either because I I thought I'm looking at Houston's players compared to our roster and I'm like god this game is gonna I mean, this game was going to get out of hand. I thought this game might be ugly. I, I said we would lose 71-58, to 58 and that was a bit wrong. Um, I mean, you just look at the players Houston has. Quentin Grimes, who had 20 points on Sunday. John Giroux had 11 points, 4 of 7 from the floor. You look at Marcus Sasser. You look at um, Justin Gorham. You look at Fabian White Jr. I mean, heck, this Houston team really has been... Um, asserting itself as a dominant force in this conference the last um, four years. Saw glimpses of it in 17-18. They really put it together in 18-19. They come into Cincinnati and blitzkrieg them in the second half of that game on Senior Day. Uh, the Bearcats did beat them last year at home. I will say this. If you have Jaron Cumberland and Trey Scott playing in that game on Sunday, they. I'm not saying the Bearcats win. But I'm saying they sure as hell, they sure they sure as hell don't lose by 30. They might lose by 15. In which case it's like, all right, Houston's really good, but you you lost by 15. Eh, okay, but Sean, this does not happen with Cincinnati basketball. That was their fir- that was their first loss by 20 points or more since 2014-15. I mean that's that, that was six years ago. Not so. You can say the Bearcats don't win. Yeah, they also don't lose. And when they do lose, it's either a shock because they don't they don't uh, regularly, and B they don't lose by much. I mean, they play in a lot of close games. Like their largest loss last year, I believe, was eleven points. And I'm sorry, thirteen points at Houston. If you're only losing by thirteen, that's your largest loss of the season. That is saying something. That shows that you're playing hard every single game and you have players that are going to give you a chance to win night in and night out, and that is most certainly not the case with this team. You mentioned... Go ahead, Sean. Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, the fact that we only lost by 13, I think that's, I think that's a huge um, shout-out to, I mean, the, the production of last year's team, and I think that's
1: because of the leadership you had. Um with you know Jared Cumberland with Trayvon Scott um, and even Keith Williams to a degree Um, yeah I mean Houston's been a tough team to play in this conference um, pretty much for the last few years at least Um, Because you know out of the last two by the way Cincinnati still is the reigning champs of the American Athletic Conference don't let that that, uh, Houston team fool you technically Cincinnati still is the reigning champs Um, and and you know, as we know, the 2018-2019 the, the season, um, that ch- a ch- a conference championship game, again, quite a lot of experience and leadership there. You know, Karen Clark, Kyle, Washington, and the, the list goes on. Um, that was a really, really close game, thanks to them turning over the uh, – Houston turning the ball over in the last second. Um, and then the year after that, since I returned to the championship game to take on Houston – and since that, he just manhandled them. And yeah. I think again, that's a tribute to Jaron Cumberland, to Keith Williams, or I'm sorry, to, well, yeah, to Keith Williams and also Trayvon Scott. I think that was a, a huge. I think that's a huge tribute to those guys. Um, and you just don't have that same leadership anymore, you know. Um, and one one quick point I want to make: uh, Houston shot 21 free throws in this game. And they made nineteen of them. No one missed more than one free. No one player missed more than one free throw from Houston.
0: Yeah, that's that's getting done. And I think that, Sean, there's two things there. One, what you just said, they're making their free throws. And two, Cincinnati didn't want to play didn't want to play their style of play. And unfortunately, um, in this against them, you have to play that way. The way you beat Houston is you play their game. Normally, Sean, if you play a team that plays up tempo, you know, you don't want to try and match that because you're going to get tired. It's easier it's easier to slow a game down than it is to speed a game up. And it's also easier to, you know, play it's also easier to match up to a physical style than it is to match up to an up tempo style. But I mean, you said it Sean, you go back to the the conference tournament championship games. You go back to um, the 2018 and 2019 Tournament Championship Games, and you look at the experience. You look at the experience that was on the floor for Cincinnati. The first year was Gary Clark and Kyle Washington. Kyle Washington makes a critical three that ties the game straight on three, stretch big, which we had that now, ties the game. Gary Clark makes the game-winning free throw, Okay. 2019, you lose Clark in Washington. All right. Jaron Cumberland had a fantastic year that year. Scores 33 points in the championship game. Also on that team, Sean, Kane Broom and Justin Jennifer. Kane Broom played well in the championship game. I mean, you realize, Sean, Kane Broom, the Bearcats don't win 28 games that year if it's not for Kane Broom's heroics in some of those games. So there was experience there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I I forgot to mention
1: Kane Broom and Justin Jennifer in the following conference championship game. I forgot to
0: mention them in that game as well, so my apologies to uh, to those two. Yeah, I mean, Kane Broom, and here's a guy who, you know, we talk about, I'm looking at the, the box score and I'm seeing Tari Eason plays 22 minutes to Chris Vogt's 14. Well, why are you not starting Tari Eason? I mean, is, is, right. is, John, is John Brandon, I mean, I imagine he's a short fuse, but then I can, I can contradict that and say, well, he's willing to start Chris Vogt every game. And Chris Boat's, you know, been so awful this year that he's been downgraded all the way down to a liability. I'm saying, Sean, remember that, remember in 2018-19, one, one um coaching decision that Mick Cronin made prior to the second game of the regular season was he started Keith Williams a sophomore at the time, over Kane Broom. And Cain Broom, I mean, probably didn't take it well at first. Okay, they don't win the UConn game at UConn without Kane Broom, who made two critical threes down the stretch. They don't win the Wichita State game in the AAC tournament semis if it's not for Kane Broom. Kane Broom, I'm sorry, I, I can go all the way back to the Tulsa game at Tulsa when he made a game-tying field goal. They don't win some close marquee games if it's not for Kane Broom's heroics. And Kane Broom eventually settled into his role, and Keith Williams becomes a starter. That team took off. Why is John Brandon afraid? To I I know I know because he recruited him. He played for him under N K. Played under him at N K U. He transferred to Cincinnati, essentially with John Brandon. But you have to be willing to not start Chris' vote if it's for the betterment and the success of this team. I mean, and I'm going. I'm thinking back to the point of experience. The last few years, the Bearcats have always had an enforcer that could go toe-to-toe with Houston. I don't see an enforcer on the floor right now with this team. I don't see Keith Williams being an enforcer, willing to, you know... Maybe like Jared Cumberland did trash talk to Hu- trash talk to Houston, um whether it 's to shush their pep band after making a free throw i don 't see Chrisville being Trey Scott of the interior going toe to toe with rebounders like Justin Gorham and Dejon Girot and Fabian white jr i don 't see any enforcers right now with Cincinnati, and Brandon mentions the disease of we in the off you know in his post game press conference. Right now, and Cincinnati looked like this on Sunday. They have a bunch of individual players that can do some things, but they can't put it together consistently against a team the quality of Houston. And unfortunately, what this game also says to me, Sean, is we can't compete with that program right now. I mean, and that's not Cincinnati basketball. We have been, prior to this season, Cincinnati has been no lower. Ready for this, Sean? In the previous seven years that Cincinnati's been in this league, they have been no lower than the four seed in the conference tournament. That, say what you want about the conference being a mid-major conference, that is incredible consistency. North Carolina can't say that. Uh, I don't think Duke cannot say that. I don't even know if Michigan State can say that. They Cincinnati has been no lower than the number four seed in their conference tournament. Tournament. And now, yeah, I, I, go ahead. I, I think it would have, sorry, go ahead, Alex. Well, I'm just going to say, like, you know, and this loss on Sunday makes me realize how far this program has to go to even be competitive against the cream of the crop currently in this league. You look at Houston. Look at Memphis, Sean, who we play on Sunday. You and I are calling that game with Caleb Taylor. You look at Memphis, they have no seniors and only two juniors, and yet they're Twelve and six, and they're the third best scoring offense in the conference, and they're ranked in the top five. That program has a brave future, and I I know we you know we hate on Penny Hardaway, whatever. Uh, he's he, as a recruiter, best in the conference, without question. Um, Dude, you said Memphis is top five. They're they're in the top they're in the top five in this conference. They have a really they have a really good team, and they oh. yes. In the conference, I
1: see. Okay, I, I wasn't sure what you meant.
0: Yeah, Memphis has been, uh, they're young, but they've also been really, really good.
1: Yeah, and, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at, at this game coming up. Uh, just
0: under two hours here,
1: an
0: hour and 45 minutes away, dip off. Yep. Um, down in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Donald W.
1: Reynolds Center. Cincinnati is taking out Tulsa night at 9 o'clock on U. Um, I don't know that they've announced the starters just yet, Alex. Um, I can't imagine it would, look, it would look too different from previous games. Um, I would imagine it might even be the same five. Um, but, you know, Tulsa is predicted to win actually heavily. If you look at ESPN's uh, basketball power index, uh, they're giving them a 64% chance to win. And frankly, I agree with that. Uh, I don't know that Cincinnati's gonna be able to keep up with the talent that Tulsa has even. Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean Tulsa's you know, in terms of Tulsa in, in terms of their record, they're you know, only slightly better uh, percentage wise. They played more games than Cincinnati. Um, you know, they're ten and nine, Cincinnati's seven and eight, so they're over five hundred, Cincinnati's just under five hundred. Uh, so in terms of wins versus losses, they're two pretty similar teams. Uh, in terms of games played, two very different teams. Um, you know, I mean, there's a four game difference there. Yeah.
0: Um, and
1: you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't know that Cincinnati's going to be able to keep up tonight. Uh, give me, give me a quick take on what you think, uh, and then we'll do uh, score prediction.
0: The last point you just made about Cincinnati being able to keep up tonight with Tulsa is a great point, Sean. And here's why: I don't know if you remember the first game these two teams played this year. But I'm thinking back to it, and Tulsa just simply got out in front of Cincinnati and the Bearcats struggled to keep up. Granted, the Bearcats made the game down the stretch, only losing by four. But Tulsa just looked like the faster team. They looked like the better team. I'm looking at Tulsa right now on their stats, Sean. They have one, two, three, four. Their, their top four scores are all shooting 44% or better, including two, one of which is at 53.4, another at 64.9. This is a team that's very efficient. They don't shoot the ball well from three. They're only 29% from three. But they play great defense. They play a zone defense, so it's going to be hard to get into paint. I mean, Chris Field's going to have to, you know, really establish himself if the Bearcats have won any chance at scoring down there. I mean, Tulsa, Tulsa is a team that will get out, and they will attack, and they will be efficient. Can the Bearcats keep up? I don't know. I doubt it. Um, I think Tulsa does come out with the win tonight. I I I think you know the point of playing more games that is instrumental in deter in you know games outcomes of games being determined. I think Tulsa wins tonight at home 73 to 60.
1: Okay. Um yeah, I I think that's that's pretty close to what I was going to say uh and my score prediction um that's actually pretty good. Um, I'm going to say Tulsa does pull off the win tonight. Um, I'm going to say the final score will be 75-63 to 63 Tulsa. Yeah. I, I, I think it'll be a double-digit win for, for Tulsa tonight. I, who knows? We could be shocked.
0: We could be absolutely shocked. Yeah. And Cincinnati could win tonight. Who Who the heck knows? It's it's 2020. It's a continuation of 2020. Yeah. Um, and Tulsa only I mean, it's, and Tulsa only averages 66.2 points per game. This is not a flashy offensive team. They just get after it and are efficient. Right, and they might be able to shut down Cincinnati's offense, um, which at best point doesn't really seem that hard
1: to do. No. Um, Cincinnati's struggling from the floor quite a bit. Uh, so that's all we've got in terms of basketball. Alex, how are we doing
0: on time? Uh, we're about out of time. I I just got dinner at my house, so we'll we'll go a little bit shorter tonight. If that's okay, but there's not much else to get to. Um, football. The, oh, oh, there is. I mean, there's some football news. The Bearcats did did just get two recruits. Um, Zion Cheeks, who's actually the cousin of former UC linebacker Brian Wright, and then Ethan Green, who's also an All American wrestler. Uh, so those are two recruits the Bearcats got this week on the football front. Uh, they do have a new running backs coach. His name is Darren Page. He comes from Eastern Michigan, where he was the wide receivers coach. He played college football at Miami, Ohio, then transferred to Finley. So Darren Page will now be the running backs coach for a running back room that will look a little different in terms of experience next year, Sean, because Jared Dokes is no longer a part of the program because he graduated Um it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how that room evolves next year and in the years down the road. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it,
1: it's drastically different from the running back room we had two years ago, Alex. Uh, you know, KV on Thomas, Michael Warren, Jared Dokes. Um, uh, there was one other I'm forgetting, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, Charles McClellan. Um, however, he did get hurt that season. So, we didn't Really have him, but he was he was still in the room, um, and he did he did come back last season for for just just a little bit uh, before getting hurt all over again. I, I
0: can't remember which game that was. Alex, do you recall which game McClellan got hurt? Yeah, I believe it was a home game. You know what? If my memory serves me correctly, it might have been the SMU game, which was on the road. Oh,
1: maybe it was. I. I uh...
0: It's gonna be but I mean you know the coaching staff has now filled out, um obviously, there's a lot of high expectations going into this year for this team and um, I be. there's going to be i mean they, they i mean there's a good chance they might be preseason top ten, and then you think about you know the uh, the schedule's out too, by the way, um Notre Dame, of course, we know that game's gonna be on October second in South Bend, Indiana. The Bearcats will open up against Miami, Ohio on Saturday, September 4th. Um, other important games. UCF comes to Cincinnati on Saturday, October the 16th. And uh, Homecoming was just announced today. That will be on November the 6th, a Saturday when they take when the Bearcats take on Tulsa. Uh, the home finale will be Saturday, November 20th against SMU, and then The final game of the season is at East Carolina on November 27th on the road. That's the uh, non conference schedule. uh, That's the 2021 schedule for the Bearcats. Sean, um, real quick with the Reds, um, spring training underway, full squad workouts. um, Just, you know, Joey Votto said something that he's going to, you know, Stop trying to be perfect at the plate, and, you know, try to hit for more power. He's going to sacrifice, you know, I guess taking too many pitches and trying to be perfect for more power. Trying, He's going to sacrifice being selective is what he said. Um, can Eugenio Suarez bounce back? Is he going to be in shape for the start of the season? That's been talked about. You know, what's going to happen with shortstop? Nick Senzel, a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, in spring training, first game Sunday at 3.05 Eastern time against the Cleveland Indians
1: yeah and um, we're getting close we're getting close to opening day Um, I'm not exactly sure how many days we are away um, but we are getting close and they are allowing uh, 30% capacity uh, for opening day and for all Reds games, at least as of right now
0: Thirty, they are 30%. Yeah, 30, and 36 days away today is opening day. Yeah, and who knows where the numbers will be for COVID. Um,
1: you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see um, in terms of the vaccination and in terms of the numbers and all, all those sorts of things. And actually, Hamilton County is doing a lot better. Uh, now, no longer the worst county in Ohio. Um, they are doing a, a lot better uh with their with uh, their numbers or i should say with our numbers rather um but yeah it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see as the season progresses will they let in more fans will they not um you know are they going to deem it a safe environment because it is an outdoor stadium um and who knows maybe the hotter weather and I, I know we said this last year but maybe the hotter hotter weather will be a bit of a factor um in terms of you know the spread of covid and all that sorts of stuff, but it will be nice to see at least some
0: fan uh, in the stand. Now, unfortunately we won't have like the uh, opening day parade, but opening day will still be happening regardless. Yeah. Um,
1: it'll just be a little less festive this
0: year. And the fact that fans are going to be allowed and the fact that there's an opening day in the spring, I think is going to be, it's it's going to have some sense of normalcy to it. Uh, Marty Brennan has said, there is nothing like opening day in Cincinnati.
1: No, I, there's not. I mean, you can think of all the great events that happen in Cincinnati. You know, you maybe say, "Oh, Oktoberfest" or the Crosstown Shootout. Uh, you know, this, that, and the other. But opening day, just at least for a lot of Cincinnati fans, it, it's almost like a threshold. You know, it's like we made it through winter. It's, it's nice and warm out now. The weather's changing. It's starting to get beautiful outside. And Reds baseball is back. There's just a feeling about the air that's. Something's just
0: right, you know, for most Cincinnati uh, city livers, you know, yep. residents. Um, there's just a good, there's just a good feeling in the air. And, you know, it'll be nice to have that back, even if you know the Reds maybe don't have a successful year this year. It's just, it's just nice to have Red Baseball. Well, absolutely. We'll get to that uh, on shows down the road. Um, real quick with the Bengals. Sign Carl Lawson to a long-term extension because in this division, the AFC North, you need pass rushers to get after some really talented quarterbacks and, you know, be able to go toe-to-toe with uh, with really good offensive lines. And then sign offensive linemen, protect Joe Burrow. He's the investment. Although, I, my, my top choice for the Bengals to draft is um, Jamar Chase. A- and Sean, unfortunately, we'll have to cut um, the show end tonight right there. Um, but this was good to get back, and we should be back again next week.
1: Absolutely, Alex. Thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, we have to do a, a phone call tonight, so this is the first time we've done that. But uh, thanks for joining in, folks, and uh, tune in next week. And tune in tonight, if you so dare, to the Bearcats game at 9 o'clock over at ESPNU down in Tulsa. Have a good night, Bearcats fans, and we we'll see you next week.